Welcome to the 1909, your home at the state news for everything happening on campus and around Lansing. I'm Lily Gwinney. The end of the school year is rapidly approaching, and I just want to say thanks to everyone who's been tuning in the past few months. It's been a semester that none of us expected, but we've gotten to hear so many awesome and enlightening stories out of this campus nonetheless. We'll continue to bring you news recaps up until finals week, so keep on listening. This week, we'll be recapping some graduation announcements, updates about Berkey and the Union, and other campus and city news. Then we'll hear our couple minutes of just good news about an astrophysicist inspiring others to reach for the stars. So let's get into it. When Maria Vallejo was hired by Michigan State University Department of Police and Public Safety as their police social worker in fall of 2022, she felt she had a good picture of what the job would ask of her on a day-to-day basis. Vallejo, a two-time graduate of MSU and a former victim advocate in a prosecutor's office, said she knew what her role would look like and where she would fit in in the community. Valiel said no one goes into the job expecting a mass shooting, but she said skills and experiences from her prior jobs were something she relied on as she helped the campus work its way through the mass shooting on February 13th. That work is never comfortable, Valiel said. You hope you never have to do it again. Valiel said her unit at DPPS is focused on mental wellness, community safety, and giving people access to resources in times of crisis. On February 13th, she was called in to assist at the Reunification Center at the MSU Pavilion. Valiel arrived just before midnight and said the pavilion was tense. She knew there were families coming that hadn't heard from their students, hoping they would hear something or be unified. She said the most profound part of working in the Reunification Center was sitting with the families who were still waiting. The longer they waited, the more we were all aware that their students could be on that list, Valiel said. Later that night, employees of DPPS made death notifications, and families were called into a private part of the pavilion. After February 13th, Valiel said the important part of her role has been connecting people with services being offered to survivors of a traumatic event throughout the community. DPPS, Valiel said, is still responding to professors' requests for wellness checks on students they have yet to hear from or see in class after the shooting. Valiel said it's not anyone's place to judge how a person processes their trauma, but that she will meet them where they are and connect them with accessible resources to meet their needs. When you're feeling trauma, you're just shutting down, Valiel said. You're not reading your email. You're just trying to cope where you feel the safest. Whether that means not feeling comfortable to come back to campus or they don't want to walk to their dorm in the dark from the parking lot or needing other accommodations, Valiel said her job is to find the appropriate resources. Additionally, she's been in touch with some of the families whose students were injured or died in the shooting. Valiel said DPPS is working with these families to provide support for medical bills or places for the families to stay while their students are in rehab. As a victim advocate, we can never be satisfied, she said. Valiel said the normalization of active shooter drills and security guards walking the halls creates a very different academic culture than what she experienced in her inner-city Detroit school growing up before safety precautions to prevent violence in schools were implemented. I grew up in a city that has a lot of violence, so I always took precautions, Valiel said. Personally, I understood it, but institutionally, we just didn't have that in school. She's encouraged and grateful for the people that accepted the support she has had to offer since she started at DPPS. Since the shooting happened, Valiel said, social workers at other universities have asked her about her experience and what the department has learned. She said that as the social workers at other universities and colleges have asked for advice, they've also acted as a support network for her. I'm never the stoic person who pretends like it didn't impact me. You have to model the healthy things that you want other people to feel safe to experience themselves, Valiel said. 
MSU administrators have finalized decisions on two sites of the mass shooting on campus last month. Berkey, an academic building where the gunman killed two students in classrooms, will remain closed through the fall 2023 semester. The MSU Union, where a third student was killed, will begin reopening on April 3rd. Both buildings have been closed to the public and their staff since the shooting on February 13th. The reopened Union will include Sparties and the Spartan Spirit Shop retail stores, as well as thousands of square feet of study areas and reservable rooms available to students. Vice President of Student Life and Engagement Venny Gore, the administrator who oversees non-academic spaces like dormitories and dining halls, said there's a great demand for the union. Over 330 student organizations are already attempting to book rooms for the month of April. The union has generated between $250,000 and $550,000 for the university in recent years, according to the Office of Student Life and Engagement. Kinesiology junior Julia Krantz, who was studying in the MSU Union when the gunman opened fire inside, said that despite the traumatic experience, she's excited for the reopening. She said the Union was her home on campus, where she studied or socialized nearly every day. She's determined to go back and not let the shooting take it from her. It will take time to get used to the space again, Krantz said, but I just like the Union a lot better than the library. I was really upset when it closed because how can we just go back to normal when my normal is going to the Union? April 13th will be more of a soft opening, according to Gore. University tours will remain at the Kellogg Center, and much of MSU counseling and psychiatric services will continue to operate off-site. The Union Food Court will remain closed for the foreseeable future. The dining area housed much of the violence, and given the physical damage caused by the panic and the presumed association between that space and dramatic events, traumatic events, university administrators said they hope to remodel the food court before opening it to students. Similar cosmetic changes are being discussed for Berkey Hall, according to interim provost Thomas Jitsko. Jitsko and Gore both said that renovations are in early stages and that more details will be provided when contractors are secured and designs are finalized. Staff of the Union Food Court, as well as the Sparties and Spartan Spirit Shop stores, will be offered relocation if they want to continue their employment but don't want to return to work in the Union. Gore said his department is lucky to be large enough that students and full-time staff can maintain their employment while working somewhere else on campus. Jitsko said on the academic side, his staff has been working to ensure similar flexibility for professors, researchers, and graduate students who previously worked out of office spaces in Berkey Hall. Berkey's classes will once again be moved to various buildings for the fall 2023 semester. Jitsko cautions students currently building their schedules to account for travel time when scheduling courses that would have been in Berkey. The location of those courses currently appears blank in the student information system. In graduation news, three national leaders in health, economics, and national security will be addressing this semester's graduating class. Chief Medical Advisor to the President, Dr. Anthony Fauci, will be delivering his address to MSU doctoral graduates. Master's and Educational Specialist degree recipients will be addressed by Jill Kruby, the Undersecretary for Nuclear Security for the U.S. Department of Energy and National Nuclear Security Administration Administrator. MSU faculty member Lisa D. Cook, who serves on the Federal Reserve Board of Governors, will address undergraduate degree recipients. Graduation ceremonies are set to begin on May 4th and conclude on May 13th, taking place at the Breslin Center as well as the Wharton Center. The ceremonies will be live-streamed on MSU's commencement website for those who cannot attend or wish to watch remotely. All three speakers will be awarded honorary degrees for work done in their respective fields. Kruby, who will be awarded an honorary doctorate of science, 
will address master's and educational specialist degree recipients at 9 a.m. on May 5th. Her background in engineering and science helped develop technologies to further the nation's nuclear security. Her honorary degree recognizes her accomplishments not only in the field of national security, but also as a mentor for women in engineering. Cook will address undergraduate degree recipients at 1 p.m. on May 5th. She's previously a senior economist on the Council of Economic Advisors under former President Barack Obama. She's also notably the first black woman to serve on the Federal Reserve Board. Cook is also a professor of economics and international relations at Michigan State, though temporarily on leave while she serves on the Federal Reserve Board. Cook will be awarded an honorary doctor of humanities for her lifelong commitment to providing financial stability knowledge and action to the field of economics. Fauci will address doctoral students at 3.30 p.m. on May 5th. His lifetime of work in the field of public health, most notably his research on HIV and AIDS during the global AIDS epidemic, and his COVID-19 pandemic counseling has brought him national recognition. He's been awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom and has served through seven presidents and their administrations to make informed decisions about global health issues. The American Gaming Association adopted new rules on March 28th, which would disallow partnerships between colleges and sports betting companies, challenging Michigan State Athletics' nearly $9 million deal with Caesars Sportsbook, according to the association's website. The American Gambling Association, or AGA, is not a government agency, rather a group of casinos and online gambling firms that regulate the industry through an internally enforced code of rules. Caesars is not a member of the AGA, but is still bound by the guidelines it creates, according to AGA Senior Vice President Casey Clark. Individuals and members are asked to submit complaints to the AGA if they suspect firms of breaking their rules. Those would then be investigated by a review board, according to the organization's policy. Though Clark says there has only been one recorded code violation and that firms shifted into compliance before intervention was even needed. It's not entirely clear how MSU will react to these new rules. When asked if he believes the Caesars deal could continue, Clark said, you're going to have to ask MSU and Caesars about their particular partnership, but from a strict code situation, any new partnerships will be prohibited, and any expansion would likely be prohibited. Associate Athletics Director and Communications Director Matt Larson, MSU Spokesperson Dan Olson, and MSU Vice President of Communications Emily Garant were all unavailable for comment at the time of the state news's publication. Media representatives for Caesars were also unavailable. The partnership has been criticized nationally by regulators, lawmakers, and addiction experts for encouraging students to partake in gambling, which studies have found is disproportionately dangerous and addictive for young people. Department of Agricultural, Food, and Resource Economics Professor Satish Joshi, who first criticized the partnership at a November 2022 University Council meeting, said he wishes the athletics department would have ended the partnership on its own, rather than wait till a regulator outlawed its deal. This shouldn't be a debate, Joshi said. Promoting this using college events to promote gambling is absolutely morally reprehensible. We should not have even gone there, but having gone there, I think it's time they terminate it quickly. The now moot deal includes broadcasts and video advertisements for Caesars during games, emails to MSU's database of students, free tickets to games, and seats on teams' private planes for Caesars employees, as well as the nonspecific clause which allows the company to quote-unquote Caesarize the tailgating spaces outside of Spartan Stadium. Outside of those broad areas, the structure of the deal makes the details unclear. PlayFi, a sports marketing company, serves as a middleman between MSU and Caesars, meaning the contract containing specifics is between the two private companies and not subject to public records records requests. 
The secrecy was touted by Playfly employees attempting to finalize the deal in 2021, according to emails to MSU Athletic Director Alan Haller obtained by the state news. The new rules also prohibit NIL deals between college players and sports betting companies. Representatives Samantha Steckloff of Farmington Hills and Noah Arbit of West Bloomfield introduced a resolution on March 23rd in the Michigan House of Representatives to condemn comparisons made between gun violence prevention laws introduced in the state legislature and violence that occurred in the Holocaust. The resolution's passage follows tweets made by the state Republican Party chair Christina Caramo through the party's Twitter account, which outwardly compared the restricting of firearms to the restricting of rights to Jewish people in the Holocaust. The MIGOP tweet read, History has shown us that the first thing a government does when it wants total control over its people is to disarm them. Karamo's tweet talked about the history of enslaved black Americans, disarming Native Americans, putting Japanese Americans into internment camps, and sterilizing disabled and mentally handicapped American citizens, comparing these acts of hate to possible restrictions on the Second Amendment. These tweets received backlash on a national scale, yet Karamo held a press conference where she defended her comparison doubling down instead of apologizing. There's absolute no, absolutely nothing in recorded history like the systematic murder of six million Jewish people by Nazis during the Holocaust, Stekloff said in her speech on the House floor. It is utterly obscene to compare our efforts to defend women's rights to control their own bodies and protect children from gun violence to death camps. Our public discourse has reached a new low. None of us, regardless of party, should stand for it. The resolution was prepared by House leadership. Leadership then came to Representative Steckloff and Arbit to sponsor. Arbit, who is the sponsor and former chair of the Michigan Democratic Jewish Caucus, said that watching Michigan Republicans use, quote, a cheap political point in opposition to gun violence reform was unconscionable, making the need for the resolution more than appropriate. When the Michigan House got a call from the FBI a month ago discussing an individual in Michigan with a house full of weapons looking to harm Jewish Michiganders, Arbit said it was just one occurrence of the rising anti-Semitism and rising extremism in the state. The Republican Party is not only not an ally in the fight against anti-Semitism, it's actually helping stoke it with this and other forms of rhetoric that they use, according to Arbit. Arbit introduced a House bill which would amend the Elliott Larson Civil Rights Act to include discrimination based on ethnicity. Arbit said the legislature should stop calling it a rise when this has been a problem for years, instead calling it, quote, reality. Arbit said it should not be complicated for Republicans to learn to stop making harmful comparisons, comparing it to kindergartners learning not to punch each other in the face. Arbit called out State Representative Neil Frisky of Charlevoix, who Arbit said comes from, quote, a family of Nazis and compared gun reform to Kristallnacht, or the beginning of the Holocaust, of, as part of not only the doubling down, but, quote, quintupling down on the harmful comparisons the MIGOP is making. Regional Director of the Anti-Defamation League of Michigan, Carolyn Normandon, said she works on releases of annual reports of anti-Semitic in incidents. In 22, Normandon said, the rates of these incidents were at historically high levels, with 111 incidents in Michigan in terms of vandalism, including one of the incidents being an assault, ranking Michigan as the ninth worst state for anti-Semitism. Normandon also worked on a white power propaganda report depicting that Michigan is the fourth worst state in the union when it comes to the spread of propaganda. Normandon called the meme from the MIGOP, quote, disgusting and vile. She appreciated the legislature for acting to address the issue and working to get to a point where political parties can disagree without, quote, inappropriate comparisons to the Holocaust that minimize the death of millions. I think we've seen the Holocaust analogies and Hitlerian analogies rising in the past several years, Normandon said. 
it's sort of become common and normalized, and we cannot let it become normalized, especially with elected officials and candidates. They must use their platforms to communicate responsibly and not contribute to the trivialization of the Holocaust. Norman did said that the rise in these analogies has also been attributed to the COVID-19 restrictions, such as wearing a mask or getting the vaccine. The defamation aspect of these tweets come from the idea of quote-unquote false equivalency, wherein those using those comparisons simply don't like political actions, whether that be from Republicans or Democrats. Now it's time for our couple minutes of just good news about an astrophysicist with an inspiring story who's hoping to open doors to STEM education for future scientists. Hakeem Oluwesi, an astrophysicist, author, STEM educator, inventor, voice actor, and TV personality, recently spoke at the Facility for Rare Isotope Beams Auditorium. He was recently a science education lead in the Space Mission Directorate at NASA headquarters in Washington, D.C., where he provided leadership and management to science education investments. Olase said in his speech that his scientific research had done much to do with quote-unquote hacking stars. His goal is to better understand the works of the universe and to develop new and innovative technologies to bring science forward. His goal with science education is to convey information effectively and efficiently. He likes to share the perks of being a scientist. For me, I like to talk to students about the elements of being a scientist that you never really hear about, Aloisi said. For example, I've been to 44 countries now. Guess how many of those trips I paid for? Zero. You get so many benefits from being a scientist. Growing up in a poor home in rural Mississippi, he said he's driven to provide an education that allows an equal opportunity to African-American children of all backgrounds. You think about impacting people's lives through making discoveries, developing technology, but really for me, it's bridging that gap, Aloisi said. I feel like we self-edit. People think, oh, I can't do that. I thought I was dumb until I saw you. Aloisi said he has people from all walks of life constantly reaching out to him. Just a few days ago, he said someone wrote to him saying they had been inspired to become a math teacher because of him. Others wrote to remind him of the time he visited their village and inspired them to get their degrees in electrical engineering. That stuff is way more fulfilling to me than any invention, any scientific discovery, just impacting people's lives, Aloisi said. He said teaching people to believe in themselves is mind-blowing. His own story is indicative of that change. After being honorably discharged from the Navy due to his skin condition, he enrolled in Mississippi's Tougaloo College, where he was unaware that he had to actually apply before showing up. He ended up dropping out, working as a hotel janitor, and eating guest leftovers, and then coming back to school to earn his degrees in math and physics. He went on to study at Stanford. After failing the qualifying exam countless times, he eventually graduated in 1999 with a Ph.D. in physics. Later in life, he would be invited back to speak at Tougaloo College, now as a respected and famous astrophysicist. Running full circle, his team had him stay at the same hotel where he had worked to survive years earlier. And that's it of our episode of the 1909 for today. Thanks for tuning in, and remember to catch us every Monday wherever you get your podcasts. And signing off from East Lansing, I'm Lily Gwinnie.